Welcome and good morning, everyone. It's really great to uh, be here with you uh, this morning. My name is Brian. I'm a pastor with Church 21. I'm visiting once again. Um, and it is really exciting that, yes, we thought it would be the last time, the last time I came. But um, I'm always grateful to be able to serve you. So my clapping for Dustin's return next week is not because I don't do this again. Just want you to just want to make sure you know that I do enjoy this. Um, it's more because it, it, it'll be really good for you guys to have Dustin back because he's a far better preacher than I am. That's for sure, um, and he's and he's your pastor, so it'll be good to have him back. And it's really good to see new faces uh, as well. Um, I was actually um, I was kind of a little overjoyed. Somebody was like, "Oh, hi, Brian," and it's like they knew me. Uh, and and I and I never met them before, but it's because they've seen me on the the live stream in the past here, and I thought that's really cool. In some way, we made this interesting connection, right? Uh, just just over you know uh, over the the uh, internet even. Uh, and today I'm going to be talking about connections. Uh, specifically, we're going to be so we've been in this uh, series in lament and lamentations. Um, and we're going to be talking about uh, the connection that God has with us through his steadfast love. And in uh, Hebrew, that's hesed love. Uh, and I, uh, but before I talk about that, another area, I do a lot of counseling. And so connections are really important. I am going to move this just a little. Um, connections are a little, uh, are, are very important. Um, and sometimes I counsel kids, so it's harder to understand and try to establish a connection with a child, establish a connection, or help them understand or have a connection with what's going on with God and their hearts and everything. Um, and, but the most important connection that a child has is, uh, besides God is with their parents. Uh, and most of you, I don't know all your stories, so I don't know who's experienced what, but hopefully, in, for the most part, I think I can say safely that most, this describes most of us, is that there's a, there's a deep connectedness between us and our parents, even if it's been difficult. Um, in, these are what we call normal circumstances, meaning, uh, you know, we were, we were brought into the world by a mother and a father. Whether it worked out or not is a completely different story. Uh, but they raised us, and we lived in the comfort of their home, and we, we built deep relationship with them. It was a comforting connection. Um, it was an unspoken connection. You just felt like everything was okay. Even when it wasn't okay, it was somewhat okay. And we experienced some sort of security, right? Like, we felt secure in our homes. Now, again, I know that that's not everyone's reality here. And, I, and, I'm, and if, that, if what I'm saying is like, oh, you don't know my house. Well, you're right, I don't know your house. But in general, even, even when, it's, when, it's, when it's broken, when it's broken uh, there's still that sense of security. Parents... So that's how we feel as children of, of these parents that gave birth to us. Parents have a deep sense of love for their kids, right? For the most part. And we, we see that personified oftentimes in those Liam Neeson movies. Every movie he ever does, he's going after somebody that he loves. And he's, gonna, he's going to rescue them. And if they don't let him rescue them, well, you know, it gets really bad uh, for them. And so this is how our parents love us and care for us. There's a deep connection. 
And like I said, we can break it. Uh, and when it's broken over the course of 18 years, presuming you know you're you come into the world and then you maybe you leave the home culturally. Not everybody leaves the home after 18 years, uh, but the connection is still there, right? There's you I. Okay, I do counseling, right? And people experience a lot of suffering in their family, uh, in their family uh, milieu, if you will. And um, still, in spite of some of the deepest suffering, in spite of some of the most shocking suffering that you may have heard, there's still a connection between parent and child. But with adopted children, or children who have been taken out of the home at a young age, it's a little different. Um, they, they've been separated either due because they were needed to be separated from their parents or their parents couldn't take care of them or maybe some other trauma happened in their lives that they were removed from the home. Uh, and that is traumatic for a child. And I'm hoping that in describing this today, we're going to get really a sense of what is broken in this relationship between parent and child. Um, when kids are separated, we don't realize this, but oftentimes at the ages of one, two, three years old, they actually have to fight for food. They have to fight for security. They have to fight for feeling comfort in their own living conditions. At, at two years old, they're largely left on their own. And though so there's this connection that's broken between parent and child, the people that were supposed to actually raise them disappeared out of their lives disappeared. And so there's these new parents that come into their lives, hopefully, God willing, that there's some gracious, good, loving parents that come into their lives, and they choose to love them, right? And we think, wow, that's great, right? And if any of you have adopted children, you know what it is to choose to love children that you didn't give birth to. Right? If any of you have blended families, in some ways, you know what it is to choose to love kids that were not originally your own. Uh, and there's this sense, I think, that it's a normal tendency. Think, well, I love this kid. I'm choosing to love, it, love this child, so everything should be okay, but it's not okay. Uh, not every time, but often, kids who are find themselves in these uh, situations where they're, they're adopted uh, have attachment disorders and they act out. They have difficulty actually connecting with their parents and their families. Children often have behavioral issues. They have uh, anger and hoarding and stealing and lying and restlessness. They can't sleep at night. They'll even, they may even become some of the bullies that you see in school, right? They, their behavioral problems just seem a bit more than most kids. Not that Kids in normal families don't have behavior. They do. Believe me, they do. I did, you know, and I was in a normal family. Um, not really, but yes, I was in a normal family. Uh, but you see this, uh, statistically, this comes out uh, with children who, have, or, or who are uh, in adoptive families. The, the connection between parent and child is just not the same. They, they need to feel secure. This is what they need. Right? Above all else, yes, the parents love them, but they know that that love can only go so far. Uh, there's other things. There's a more layered love that they need, and they need to find security in that love. They need to find consistency in that love. The, the adoptive parents or the caregivers, the foster parents, need to, to be patient above all else with these children because it's just not going to be 
normal. And I put that in quotes because, again, what is normal? So these kids, they're young, they're in this new environment, they just can't get with the program. Um, you can't just tell a kid, well, snap out of it. These kids, these parents love you, you know? You, you, everything should be okay. You should feel secure that you get three square meals a day. Everything should be fine. It takes time and a constant reminding for the child. Oftentimes, there is therapy that is required because kids need to be reminded of what is true because it's hard for them to make sense of what they're believing and thinking because they try to control their environments. Uh, it's frustrating for new parents. They chose them and they should be considered trustworthy. But a two-year-old just can't process how things are supposed to be, so they act out because they lack the language to articulate what they're feeling. Uh, they, they learn in some ways that they can only trust themselves. After all, in the orphanage or wherever they were, I don't know if we use orphanage as a term anymore, but wherever they were before this, they couldn't trust their environment. They choose to do what is right in their own eyes. And their misbehaviors often give them a sense of control uh, because their life largely feels out of control. And it can take them years to feel normal. So again, we're in this uh, book of Lamentations. This is the last uh, time we're going to be looking at this. And we've been looking at sorrow in the midst of brokenness. And I, and I hope the weight of what a child who's been removed from uh, their original parents in their original home, where we might have sorrow in the midst of that. Uh, we've been looking at the hope that we can have in God, the, the shame and guilt that God wants to remove in the midst of our brokenness, uh, the joy that he wants to give us in the midst of that sorrow. We've been looking at all of those things over the past weeks, and in this final sermon, we're going to be talking about love in the midst of sorrow. Weirdly, the last time I came, I preached on love. It was, it's like, okay, Brian, you didn't do enough. Well, I don't think you could ever do enough to preach about the love of God. So here we are today again. And this love, this time, we're going to use a specific term called hesed love. As I said before, it's the Hebrew word hesed for this idea of steadfast love. And it takes time to explain. It's not just love. Love is just too almost trite a word and maybe overused in our culture today. So we have to look at different aspects of it. And in the, so in the English version of the Bible in, you know, from the Old Testament calls it steadfast love. In the New Testament, it's like agape love. Okay? And so like a child born to, uh, to parents, now looking at us in general, not, not adopt, necessarily adopted kids, but everybody, um, mankind was created by God, right? And um, not, and God, and sometimes we tend to think about creation and God and our relationship to God as kind of like a zoo. We build buildings, we build cages, we put animals in them, right? And it's, there's kind of like a bit of a disconnect. I guess if you're an animal lover, maybe you're like, no, I love every, you know, like maybe that's you, I don't know. But for the most part, it's, there's this disconnection. Certainly people come in and see the zoo. Or maybe when you're a kid, you built, you built an ant farm. How, much, how connected were you really to the ants? You put them in there, you watch them, you hope they didn't break out and go around the house or something like that. It, it, it seems impersonal, but God creating us, God creating mankind is not impersonal. In fact, it's very personal. And there's this connectedness between the creator, God, and creation, us as human beings. 
We had an intimate relationship, and God had an intimate relationship with mankind, and he created us in his image and likeness. And there's probably a lot of lofty theological ways that I could describe this, but I'll, I'll describe it one way, and I don't know, this might resonate with some, and you know, like, you have, you know, when you're growing up and you see your parent and you want to be like them, I want to be like them, right? You, you, look at your, your, you look at your mom or your dad, and for, so let's say for me, I want to be like dad. There's something admirable about this larger-than-life person, and there's things about them that you want to be like, right? There's this connectedness. There's this relationship. Right? This is what it means to have uh, to be image bearers of God. So much so, it's such such a strong thing that when we want to hurt each other, when um, when a parent wants to hurt another parent, or even when a parent wrongly hurts a child, they might say, "You're just like your father." Right? There's a negative connotation to that. Right? Suddenly, I I bear the image of the bad things about my dad. But you see, there's a connection there. And so it's very strong. So God created us in his image and likeness. So there's things about him that we bear, like love and justice and, 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 and the desire for life. God also spoke to them. He communicated with Adam and Eve. And he said, this is how you will live. This is what you will do to have life-giving flourishing. And he told them how to flourish in obedience and abundance. And so... We even think about like a king, right? Again, maybe in your idea, because, you know, we don't see Queen Victoria. Incidentally, I just became a citizen last week of Canada. Go Canada, right? And, and there's a connectedness there too, right? I, I, I somehow, after 42 years, said, okay, connectedness. It, took, it takes time, right? So, all right. So now, queens, kings, I'm getting back to that. Get back on topic, Brian, get back on topic. So we can also call and look upon God as a king, and we might think that that's a, that separates us out, but it's not, because the Bible, the way it describes the relationship between uh, God as king and mankind is that we are his vice regents, and we've been given all of creation to steward. This is our relationship with him. It's not loyal subjects, people in a far off town that the king sometimes blesses with good things but often takes taxes from them and you know the way we see it in, in, in books and movies. No, we are princes and princesses. We're heirs and we live in communion with God. This is the connectedness that we had with God when he created us. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. I don't know about you, but there aren't very many people that I'm going to walk around naked with, right? Honestly, nobody, except my wife, maybe. Sorry if this is a little off color. But you understand, like, there's a freedom there. It, it, it give us, gives us this image of there's nothing that we need to hide between us and God. There's a connectedness. It's unbroken. And it's a connection between God and man. And God said that it was very good. And this connection is very profound. But we, we broke it. We rebelled against God. There was this innate trust that we had with God. And for some bizarre, well, sinful nature reason, we chose to trust in something else. We were given dominion over creation, and, and we had all that we needed, but we decided that we wanted something that was not given to us. We had perfect security with God the Father, and we chose to hide from him instead. 
And because of our rebellion, we were thrust into the wilderness, into the unknown, where we could experience all sorts of pain and trauma and suffering and ultimately death, both physically and spiritually, we would be separated from God. The connection was lost. The adoptive child that I was talking about earlier, the orphan, would never choose a life of separation and disconnectedness from their parents. They would never do that. They're too small. They're not developed. They don't understand what it would be to do that sort of thing. Yet we, we, as God's kids, we did that. We walked away. God didn't break the connection. We broke the connection. And so this should bring us sadness and sorrow. And this is the sorrow that we are talking about that's described in Lamentations. And if you are one of these folks who was orphaned and adopted, I apologize if what I've talked about right now offends you in any way. Uh, it could be especially painful for you. Because you uniquely know what it's like to lose that connection between you and your parents uh, that we mostly take for granted. Why would anyone deliberately choose that? Why? Yet, we did. As mankind, in our sinful nature, we disconnected from God. But God, in his great mercy and love for us, upheld that connection anyway. We already get a glimpse of what it means for God to have hesed or steadfast love. God promises in the garden to reconcile or reconnect what was broken. He even clothes his rebellious children offering security. He could have just packed it all up. He could have just said, look, this is done. This didn't work. Never mind. Snap my fingers. Gone. Everything. But he didn't do that. He, he decided to love us anyway in spite of our rebellion. And he does this out of his steadfast chesed love. And we see this in a profound way. And so the Bible in the Old Testament tells story after story about how we are constantly rebelling against God and how God is upholding his steadfast love. And we get to see this in a profound way in the Exodus story where God rescues his people from Egypt out of slavery and reminds them of who he is. Because he reminds them that he did this out of his character, out of the, the root of who he is. And he says, and I'll read it in Exodus 34, the Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving inequity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting inequity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God displays his hesed, his steadfast love. It's the love that, connect, that captures the connectedness of God that he seeks with his people. Out of his character, out of who he is, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's faithful, he's forgiving, he's just. Slow to anger, that's like an amazing bonus. We're so grateful that he's slow to anger because if he was quick, again, we probably wouldn't be here. He has steadfast love for us and he upholds it perfectly and guess what we never uphold it perfectly so as several hundred years go by we arrive at our book of lamentations today where jeremiah is is saddened over what is broken over the broken connection between god and his people these are god's kids and they rebel against him 
and they're suffering as a result. And so Jerusalem is being destroyed and the people of God are being exiled to Babylonia. Yet God continues to uphold his steadfast love. In the midst of this suffering, Jeremiah helps us recall God's hesed or steadfast love to remind us that God will continue to uphold it to the end, to remind us that God will continue to uphold his end of the covenant with his people, though things look pretty bleak right now. And so we look at our scripture passage for today, and I'm reading from many scripture passages, but I had to pick something that, you know, was part of what I was reading, and because it's part of Lamentations, so I'll read it again. Lamentations 19 to 24. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the woodworm, the wood, the wormwood and the gall. This is Jeremiah saying this. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But I call this to mind. So he's remembering his sorrow, and but he remembers this. Therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. So everything is going wrong around them, yet Jeremiah can say, God's steadfast love is forever. And they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He's praising God in the midst of his suffering. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And we've talked about hope, but I want you to really catch this sense that God is communicating to us through his word that his love is steadfast and never ceases. The biblical narrative shows that we as human beings are unable to keep our end of the bargain, our end of the covenant, our connection to God. We drift, we sin, and we run completely the other way. If you feel today is somewhat disconnected from God, this isn't God's fault. God is always standing there ready and waiting to receive you with open arms. He's always been faithful, but we haven't been faithful. So now we go back to adopted kids for a second. So as I said before, adopted children or children who are orphans or separated from their original parents, they are experiencing a trauma in their life. This is abandonment, right? And the whole adoption process, wherever they transition from and to, this is all part of that trauma. And what happens in those situations, not just behavioral issues, I mean, this is part of those behavioral issues, there's, some, there's these uh, attachment disorders that they get diagnosed with from time to time. The child, in these, in these attachment disorders, children have difficulty developing attachment to their new parents, and that's very difficult for both the parent and the child. The parents choose to love, right? It's, hey, we're going to adopt this child. We're going to open our home. We're going to bring this person in and we're going to treat them like our own. But the child who's voiceless and needing security and a trustworthy situation and we say, yeah, it's, of course it's secure, right? But it isn't for the child. It doesn't feel that way for the child. And so it's hard for them to attach, to have that connectedness with their new parents. Again, it takes time. So this reactive attachment disorder, which is more specific, the connection is broken at a basic human level between parent and child. And they have a hard time coping with their feelings, and so to do that, sometimes they act out in different ways, different behaviors. There's another, uh, there's an, another um, attachment disorder called 
disinhibited social engagement disorder. This one ought to scare all of you who have children. In this case, the child doesn't necessarily connect well with the adoptive parents, but they connect with everybody around them. They have no boundaries. They have no understanding of who's a bad person or a good person. They just go to them. Oh, this is my new best friend. You just met them two seconds ago. Yeah, well, he's my best friend now. This should scare us completely. So they overly connect with everyone and it's indiscriminately and in some cases they put themselves, not in their own fault, but they put themselves in dangerous situations. I actually counseled a child who had this behavior and when I asked them, who are the people closest to you? Uh, we were doing this exercise where we write names in boxes. Who are the people closest? There's not enough room in the smallest box around this child for all the names. She, she named she named somebody that I knew, that I knew that she had never met but maybe once. And I was like, why is this person here? Oh, well, I don't know, because, uh, you know, they're my friend. And I'm like, but you don't know them, right? This is how disconnected they are in terms of what it means to have connection with people and with, with parents and others. In both cases, Hesed love, connectedness is broken and needs intervention. Adoptive parents need to give almost godlike security, structure and consistency, and patience. This is what they need. This is what adoptive parents must do. And in, like I said, almost godlike, like tireless ways. Like orphan children, though, we should be able to see ourselves in these descriptions. It's in our sinful nature that we rejected God and we fail to attach to him. We, we run, we fail to attach to him and then we run to everything in this world for comfort and satisfaction. We over-attach to the wrong things. And in all these things, these are sinful behaviors, we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. We are not unlike these orphan children. So what do we need? Someone who can rescue us is who we need. Someone who has the power to reconnect us uh, to our creator in such a way that it's not up to our ability, because we're going to fail, to keep that connection and uphold that Hesed love. Some, something outside of ourselves. And only a God who would put clothes on a petulant, petulant rebellious child could rescue us from ourselves. Can you imagine how much love God has for us that in the heart of our rejection of him, he still cares for us. And so God, while we were yet still sinners, sends us Jesus. God made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. I want us to feel what that means. He became man. He was fully God and fully man. So he was like us in every way except sin. And he comes to live a life that we could not live. And in the most incredible act of Hesed love through his death and resurrection, Jesus pays the price for our sins that we can't pay. In our rebellion, we deserve death. Yet God makes a way through Jesus for Jesus to take that penalty from us to reestablish the connection that we broke. And then, as if that weren't enough, by resurrecting, by, by resurrecting, conquering death, he removes the consequence that ultimately separates us from God. And if we believe in him, if we have faith, 
in his sufficiency, of all that he's done and all the implications, the dividing wall between us and God is destroyed and the connection is reestablished. The ability to enjoy God, the ability to enjoy his Hesed love is made new again in Christ. And we get to live in communion with him now. And we get to live, this, live in communion with him forever in the next world. The connection is re restored and we can rejoice. And this should overwhelm us with how great God's love is for us. There's no part of the gospel that we bring to the table, not anything. There's no part of reestablishing uh, the connection with God that we can make outside of Jesus. Two-year-old orphans cannot force their way into an adoptive family's life. We are adopted into the family of God by God alone, by Christ alone. And like the adopted child, transformation and connectedness takes time, and we need to be reminded often. Jesus wants us to know this. And we can read this in his words. God loves us with hesed, steadfast love. He rescues us. And he also gives us the ability to respond by loving him back and loving others. And that's the basis for the two greatest commandments. To love God and to love one another. So look what it says in John 14, 15. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? If, uh, if we will obey God, we will respond to God if, if we love him. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. So Jesus knowing that he's the connection keeper. He knows that he's the one who can uphold it and that we can't. He, out of his hesed love, he says, I know, I, I, if you love me and you respond to what, what I say, by doing what I say, and I know you can't do that on your own, but don't worry, I'm going to give you my spirit to help you accomplish that. Like, he covers everything. He takes care of everything. Jesus is fully aware of the wounds that we have in our hearts from being disconnected with God and how our own sin makes us feel lost and abandoned. But Jesus says this in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Right? Orphans can't come to their parents. Orphans can't go out and look not go door to door looking for parents. They can't do that. Jesus comes to us. So we're not on our own. We don't have to obey God like by white knuckling it and saying, oh, I guess I just need to please God and make sure, right? Even, even I'm sure there are some adopted kids when they arrive into their new home, their new family, they're like, okay, I can't screw this up. I gotta make sure that I do it right. But no, they need to learn and feel secure, right? The connection is intimate between us and God now because Jesus gives us his spirit to live inside us to help us obey. God's spirit is living inside us. How more intimate a connection do you want? It's the ultimate in intimate connection. So 
And Jesus says, I'm going to manifest myself. We're looking in John 14 right now. And Judas, not the guy who betrayed Jesus, another Judas, sometimes known as Thaddeus, is asking Jesus to explain what it means that he will manifest himself to him. So he's like, does this mean, like, the way he's asking the question almost seems like, so when I need you, kind of like a genie, you'll just appear? Is that what that means? Right? But Jesus is like, no, it goes deeper than this. In John 14, 23, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I know you guys knew when, when he's going to drink that. He's holding it, right? It's a problem I have. I pick it up. I know I need it. There, I took two sips. He will come to, and we will come to him, that means us, and we will make our home with him. Jesus' answer gives deeper meaning. Father God, in a fatherly way, will, will love us and Sorry, in a fatherly day, we'll love him, and we, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will make our home with him. This is what God is saying. We are going to make our home with him. Think about that, home. There's another illustration, another idea or thought that can talk to us a bit about what it means to be connected. I just shared with you, so I just became um, a Canadian citizen. So in some way, after 40 some odd years, I decided, okay, Canada can be my home. Uh, growing up, so... I'm from New York City originally, and so we moved from New York City when I was seven, eight years old, because I turned eight in the same year that we moved. And um, and we came to Montreal, okay, and then we live in one house, and I was actually just sharing with Linda, we moved from one place to another house, we lived there for a few years, and then we moved from another place to another house, and I moved all over the place lived in a few houses, and I know maybe some of you are world travelers and you lived in many places, and maybe this isn't your reality, but for me, I remember as a young adult, I was about 20-some-odd years old, living at my mother-in-law's at the time, which again, didn't feel like home to me, and I was like, I don't feel like I'm at home. I don't, like, I was, a, my, my connectedness to my American citizenship was very strong back then, so I felt like I wasn't in my own country. I wasn't in my own home. I couldn't do or feel comfortable in my surroundings. I felt out of sorts. Um, there's this weird feeling of disconnect, right? And so I remember one day, finally, later, years down the road, when I was in my own home, a home that I purchased, and that might sound prideful, and probably it was at the time, I'll be honest, if I'm honest with you, so suddenly I remember thinking, now I feel like I'm at home. I feel connected. In the most intimate way, through Jesus, God wants to make his home with us. And in reestablishing his connection with us, his Hesed love, he makes it feel like home. Yet establishing this connection, showing us his Hesed love is not just a vertical thing, right? It's not just between us and God. That's loving God. Right? We also need to love others. It's horizontal between you and I. So remember back in September when I, when I preached on John 13, 34, it said, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
So with this same steadfast love that God gives us, we must love one another with steadfast, hesed love. Again, it's not white-knuckling it. It's not, well, I guess if I have to love them, I'll love them, right? It, but like, a, like adopted children with attachment disorders, we can't truly discern how to love a, a, one another with hesed love. We hurt people, and we love out of our own selfish need for security often. It's, it's a very self-motivated way that we love other people. But Jesus shows us how to love through his life, death, and resurrection and all the implications of the gospel. So to grow in maturity in Christ, in Hesed love, we have to remain connected to Jesus through his word and his community. We must abide. And so scripture uses this word abide to describe again another facet of what it means to have steadfast love. So if we look in 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12, and I'll read it. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So already there's an established connection. If you love God, so if you're connected to God, then you're going to love. Right? It's very much rooted in abiding and being connected to God. In this love, verse 9 says, of God was made manifest, there's that word manifest, among us, of so God's presence, Jesus present with us, making home in our hearts with us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved, but that God has loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There's that word abide. Hesed love has to be, so it's rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in what Jesus has done for us. It has to be sacrificial. Jesus sacrificed his life for us and redemptive. He redeemed us. He reestablished the connection with God. So we too need to engage in relationship that does that. We have to sacrifice our own desires, our own needs, our own wants, and look to the desires of other people. Our relationships have to be redemptive, not because we're acting out of our own selfish need, but because we desire for others to feel connected to God as well. So we want to foster that. We want to help them grow in that. Because when we love like Jesus loves, it creates the same connections between one another as we have in Christ. Yet, like the adopted children that I've been talking about, even though we precipitated the disconnection with God, even when we are reconnected through Hesed love with Jesus, there's fear of losing control, of being hurt, right? And in many cases, rightfully so. I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm going to say, who here has not been hurt by someone in the church in some way, shape, or form, right? And so we are afraid to love with that sacrificial, redemptive love that God calls us into. We're afraid because we're afraid to get hurt. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis says this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. 
wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness, but in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. People, even Christian people, aren't always safe. Hesed love must lament what is, what is broken. We must take time to lament what could be broken amongst us as brothers and sisters. Hesed love must give hope to those who suffer. So we must begin in our relationships with one another to give hope. Hesed love must seek to remove shame instead of precipitate it because often in our relationships we're really good at bringing condemnation and shame on other people. But if we work to remove it like Christ removed it from people's lives, Hesed love must seek to point people to Jesus for their joy by abiding Abiding in steadfast love of Jesus, we can begin to love without fear. Again, the last verse of what I just read. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Jesus describes his relation to us and how we are connected. He says in, uh, in, sorry, in John 15 that he's the vine and, and we are the branches. A branch cannot live removed from the vine. A branch cannot bear fruit if it's not connected to the vine. Water and nutrients flow from the vine to the branch. Jesus uses his imagery to explain what it means to abide, to be connected in a life-giving way that bears fruit and loving others. If it's out of our abiding or being connected to Jesus that we can truly love others. And we can't do that out of, and we can do that actually without fear. In 1 John, it says, by this, this meaning abiding, is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as, as he is so also are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love we love because he loved us first so when we seek to the well-being of others we incarnate jesus we become like him and we abide and it's out of our abiding in him that we can love others. So we start to build those connections, those Hesed love connections, so that, that we desperately need and we continue to foster foster, sorry, a Hesed or steadfast love and connection with God the Father because we're loving one another as the family of God. We are connected to God and we are connected to one another through Jesus. And we must celebrate that, foster that, build that. We have to encourage one another. We have to bless one another. We have to come alongside one another and do things sacrificially for one another. And seek to have those redemptive relationships with one another. And we can only do that if we abide in Jesus. So let me pray. Father God. 
We thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that, uh, that you love us and that uh, you make the connection that we cannot make. That you as an almighty and powerful God, but that is not far away, but it is close and intimate and desires connection with us, comes to us and establishes that connection through your son, Jesus. Father God, we so desperately need security. We so desperately need consistency in our lives. We need that more than we even know. Lord, we pray that we can obtain this, have this through Jesus, who is the one who makes us secure. Father God, we thank you that you give us hope of eternal life and salvation through him. Lord, give us your spirit to help us love one another without fear. Help us give grace. Help us mend what is broken because you have already mended what is broken. In Jesus we pray, amen.